Good morning, church. I think this is my fifth Sabbath here already. Time goes by fast. Um, But I want to share a story with you about how I learned to ride a bike, if that's okay. I think I was five or six, and I had a hand-me-down bike that was pink from my sister. And, um, you know, you have the training wheels, and things are great. Life is good, because you're on all fours. You know, there's lots of stability. And um, eventually, either my mom or my dad, I don't know whose idea it was, that they thought that I could ride a bike. They decided to take the training wheels off. And I was super scared. My mom's like, don't worry, don't worry. There's a little metal bar in the back. I'm going to hold on to it the whole time. So I was like, okay. My mom's going to be my other two wheels, so I'll still be on all fours. So, you know, we'd go up and down the sidewalk, and things were going great, and um, I was fine. I wasn't scared. And we went a little bit farther, a little bit faster, and then we went down the street, and pretty soon I could hear my mom's footsteps going a little bit faster, pitter-patter, pitter-patter, so she started to run because I was going a little bit faster. And then eventually, like, the footsteps just went away. The footsteps just went away. I didn't hear them anymore, and I was like, oh, no, where's my mom? So I turn back and I look, and she's like 15 yards behind me. What are you doing? You're fine. You can do it. No. And so I pull into the driveway, my neighbor's driveway, and I just crash on the driveway because my mom wasn't there holding my bike. She was my personal training wheel when I was learning to ride my bike. And um, this is how it was with Joshua. Joshua had his own personal training wheel, personal mentor in Moses. And thankfully, Joshua didn't crash and burn like I did because he had a pretty big responsibility of leading the children um, of Israel. But see, Joshua was commissioned for leadership early on. In Numbers 27, um, Moses asked the Lord to appoint someone over the congregation. Who will lead them? Who will go out before them? And the Lord said, here, take Joshua son of Nun, a man who, who is in the spirit of leadership, lay your hand upon him. Have him stand before Eliezer the priest and the entire assembly and commission him in their presence. In addition, give him some of your authority so that the whole Israelite community will also obey him. It's interesting because this commissioning in Hebrew means to lay charge upon, to give charge, to command order, to appoint someone ruler over, and that's what Moses was doing with Joshua because the Lord had commanded him to do so. The Lord commanded Moses to strengthen him and encourage him because he's going to be the one to lead the people to cross over and into the land that God had promised him. And Moses did just that. Moses accepted Joshua as that present leader of the people. He affirmed Joshua as the leader of the future of the Israelites. And Moses gave Joshua that authority as commanded by God so that the congregation of the Israelites would obey. But see, even before Joshua was officially commissioned, he was already involved in leading the people of Israel. He had hands-on leadership. He had hands-on training. He was being prepared for this leadership role. As we know, one of his assignments was to spy on Canaan and to see where the Lord was going to send them and what land the Lord was going to give him, to see what the people were like and what kind of foods they ate. And he was the one that was sent from his tribe. Joshua was prepared and trained and mentored, even for spiritual leadership early on in life. In Exodus 24, the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments I have written for their instruction. 
Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. Joshua was the one that was even present with Moses when, when um, he was receiving those tablets. He was the one that was able to be privileged to accompany Moses to the top of the Mount Sinai. And um, he was, um, Joshua was Moses' attendant, even at the tent of meeting. And he often remained in that holy place when Moses had to return to the camp to the Israelites. Joshua had even prepared with hands-on experience even in military actions. He had defeated the Amalek people while Moses was holding up the staff on the hill of the sunset, oh, until sunset. He was prepared for leadership. He had hands-on training in various, various roles. But then, did you know, coming to today, that 13 is the average size of youth, group, youth groups and churches across North America? That's the average size of your youth group in North America. And when one stops to think about it, how does that translate to an entire congregation of people? Say those 13 people get married and they have a wife, 26. They have a couple of children, 2.2 or whatever the average is. How does that translate to an entire congregation of people? See, when those 13 people grow up, assuming they don't move away from their home church, Will they be involved in their church? Will, be they, will they be a part of the congregation? Will they be a part of their leadership? The youth and children and young adults here at Calamesa is not average size. It's not. With the 43 youth that I have met in the last four, five weeks, whatever. But um, the question remains though, are these kids and youth and young adults, are they growing up to be part of our congregation? Are they growing up to be leaders of our church? Are they wanting to be a part of the leadership to take control eventually? Are they going to be translated into a congregation of ministers here at Calamisa? So then, what are we doing to prepare, train, and mentor this generation of leaders? What are we doing to invest our time and our energies in them? Because the question remains, who has got next? Who will be the next generation of leaders in our church here at Calamesa and in the broader Adventist church and in the broader Christian church? See, Joshua was constantly in preparation. He was constantly in a leadership position. He was constantly being mentored. And he was that next generation leader for Israel. But he was completely and always in some sort of training mode. It's interesting because um, quite a few years ago, I was asked to give a, a devotional at the conference office on a Monday morning. And I think it was like my first or second year in, in ministry, and I'm like, what do they want to hear from me? I have nothing really <laughs> to share with them. Um, so I was there, and I arrived, and they said, oh, Genevieve, what, what, what hymns do you want to sing? And I'm like, oh, anything is okay. Whatever you guys choose is totally fine. As it turned out, they chose three hymns that I'd never <laughs> heard of in my life. And um, it was great, it was wonderful. But you know, the amazing thing is, is these hymns had very um, deep spiritual words that I really appreciated, but I'd never heard them in my life. And, and um, you know, other people were enjoying them and singing them, which I was happy for them to do. But I was like, wow, this is such a whole nother section um, that we're different in between um, some of these people and, and me. We're just so different. And I felt like it was a generational gap. Should I know those songs? Maybe. Does it matter? I don't know. But the reality was I didn't know them, and I felt a sense of distance. 
I felt a sense of, this is, that's not me, and I'm not them. But these differences between the generations, it's a good thing. It's not that one is better than the other, and the differences are more than music, more than worship, more than praise music. But first, we have to acknowledge that there are differences. There is also this one church that thrived for several decades. The congregation grew older and the pastor aged with them, which is pretty normal. The second generation then got to a point of having children themselves, and there was a whole slice of church that was in their 50s and 60s, and a whole nother slice in their 20s and 30s. And the church used the same approaches and methods that they always used, that they were happy to do. The older people loved it, but the younger people and the younger generations eventually grew more and more restless. And eventually, another church in town brought a younger pastor who related well with the younger generations, and a high percentage of those younger people left the church to go to this second church, leaving the first church with a gaping hole of young people missing. And this was a result of not thinking ahead or listening to the requests of the younger generation. See, if we don't listen to our upcoming generations, if we don't hear their requests, if we don't include them in our planning or train them or prepare them, that church could be our church with a gaping hole of young people who are missing. After all, people vote with their feet because people want to go to places where they feel wanted and valued and secure. They want to go where people, where they feel accepted and where they can be themselves. Moses spent time with Joshua. He included him in the mundane and in the important aspects and decisions. Moses knew that he himself wouldn't be the one to lead the people into the promised land, so he was preparing Joshua to do it. And Moses mentored Joshua. Dr. Howard Hendricks, who has passed away last year from the Dallas Theological Seminary, said this. He said, our churches are full of older people looking for meaning. They have walked with God, they have learned great lessons in life, and now they find themselves retired with time on their hands, often lacking a sense of purpose and meaning. And then we have the younger generations who are craving someone to mentor them, someone who will invest in their lives and show them the ways of the Lord. Our churches, meanwhile, are doing everything possible to keep these generations apart. And this last sentence is one of my favorites. The future of our church hinges on the passing of faith from one generation to another through mentoring and intergenerational relationships. And um, in preparation to coming to Calamesa, I kept hearing about how it's such a great family church, and I was really excited to come here and to see how everybody interacts with each other and, and the family feel that I have have been hearing that this church has. And I have seen it from my short time here, and I'm still excited to see it even more happen. I'm excited to see even more intergenerational crossings and intergenerational mentoring and making sure that our generations coming up are wanting to be a part of our church here. So how do these generations connect? I don't know, maybe worship services are the answer, maybe they're not, but sometimes it's kind of hard to connect with somebody when all you see is the back of their head sitting in your pew. Maybe... um, Sorry, maybe there's some other tangible ways that that we can think about in which um, our generations can connect, and maybe we need to be open to that too. 
In most cases, community relationships happen outside of the worship gathering. Community is built when mentoring happens, when small groups meet, when classes with interaction and dialogue take place, and even when people serve together or do some sort of project together where they're working side by side and hand in hand and they're supporting each other in that role. Intergenerational mentoring and passing on of wisdom must become a value if we want to see our young people, the next generation, leading this church and the wider church. According to the Barna Group, teens are emulating the people they know best, which is good. More than two out of three teens identify with people they know personally as their primary role model. This fact gives our church family the upper hand, knowing that there's a greater than 66% chance, according to the statistic, of teens who are choosing a role model whom they know. But that's the kicker. It has to be somebody they know. It has to be somebody who's personally involved in their lives, personally involved in their ministry, who are personally involved with them and are more familiar with who they are as individuals, what their interests are, what make them who they are. So yeah, it's great that we have a more than 66% chance, but we have to be involved from the beginning. If we are more willing to be involved in their lives, then they have more than a 66% chance of choosing you. But you see, all generations are needed in our church family. Yeah, we may be different. Yeah, there may be age gaps. Yeah, there's differences more than music, but all are needed. We are different, and we come together just to do God's work. See, Moses needed to train and mentor Joshua, And Joshua needed Moses to train him so that he could complete the final work of bringing the people into the promised land. And then when Joshua was installed to be the official leader after Moses died at 120 years old, it wasn't like he needed a three to six month training period before he was actually ready and prepared. He was ready. He was ready to go right from the start. It wasn't that he needed training because he'd been training and he had experience all this time and now he was ready to lead the people. You see, remember Moses was supposed to be the one to lead the people but he struck the rock and you know, God's like, that's not what I said. That's not how you're gonna do it. Okay, you can't lead my people. So how are we training or preparing our younger generations for their leadership roles here? maybe doing service, maybe you know a teen, maybe there's some families here that you know, maybe there's, maybe you know one or two or five or 10 of the 43 youth that I have met here. Maybe you can get to know them a little bit more. Maybe you have a son or a daughter of someone you know or a niece or a nephew that you can get to know them more or get involved in their life in some way or talk to them or show that you have an interest in who they are as a person. Or maybe you'd be willing to empower them, mentor them, or maybe share your story of who God is to you and what he has done in your life. And maybe you'd be willing to pass on your faith of who God is to this next generation. See, because it's kind of like baseball when, you know, they're like, who's up to bat next? Like Moses, he didn't have to, or Joshua, sorry, he didn't have to train. And when you ask who's up to bat next, that person doesn't have to train to bat. They just get up and they're ready to bat. So I leave you with this story. It's called the parable of the baseball team. Behold, a team went forth to play a game of baseball. Just as the umpire was saying, batter up, the catcher for the home team arrived and took his place behind the plate. The center fielder didn't show up, but he sent his regrets. The third baseman, likewise, 
failed to come to the game because he was up late the night before. The shortstop was there, but he forgot his gloves, so he really wasn't a huge help in catching any balls. And two of the substitute fielders were away on a weekend trip, but they said, you know what? We'll be there in spirit. Don't forget about us. The pitcher went to the home mound, and he looked around for his teammates, and he thought it was going to be quite a grim day. His heart was heavy, for their positions were empty. The game was announced, the visitors were in the stands, and there was nothing to do but pitch the ball and hope for the best. But in addition to pitching the ball, he had to cover first and third and shortstop and center and outfielders, too. When all the players who were absent heard that the team had lost the game, they were really upset. How can this happen? How can you guys lose? They held a meeting, and they voted, and they decided, you know what? It's definitely that we need a new pitcher. <laughs> but see, family, like the baseball team, the church can't survive unless everyone is pulling their weight. Everyone is a minister, each having different gifts, each having different abilities. A baseball team can't win with players who don't play, nor can a church pass on the faith to the next generations without members who don't get involved. We need to do this together. Because 1 Corinthians 12 reminds us that we are the church body, and that one body has many parts, and each part is just as important as the other. And we can work to th through this together. There are no easy answers on exactly how to do it. But if we start together and start talking and conversing and praying and asking for wisdom and advice, we can come together as team family. We can pass on our faith to the next generations. And our team can be successful when everyone is on, on board and involved and working together. So if you're a youth or you're a young adult, or you're part of that next generation, as you prepare to lead, and um, as you prepare to lead in our church and minister in our church, remember what God told Joshua. He said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go, wherever you lead, wherever you minister. And church family, I leave you with a couple of questions to think about with our youth and our next generations. What kind of action are you going to take with our young people? What kind of action are you willing to take to train them? To encourage them? To strengthen them? What kind of action are you going to take to mentor them? And eventually to pass on our faith so that our church can go on and our kids will know who our awesome God is. Amen.